Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And our first story this week is food news. It's kind of an update. (laughs) (laughs) Let me guess. Can you guess? This is about tainted lettuce. It it is about tainted lettuce. (laughs) It's one of our most popular topics. (laughs) Why? We know why, but... Yeah, I I mean, do we? Uh, (laughs) This is from ABC News. Um, some romaine lettuce is safe to eat <laughs> after okay. E. coli outbreak, FDA says. That's good. <laughs> so you probably remember that the FDC publicly warned against consuming romaine on November 20th, just days before Thanksgiving. That was last week. Yes. Um, but uh, the investigation continues. But the FDA said on Monday of this week that some romaine lettuce is safe to eat. Uh, 43 people from 12 states fell ill after eating romaine lettuce because of the E. coli uh, outbreak and but the last reported illness was on October 31st so there the numbers haven't gone up and there's still like there's still no okay. deaths so all that's all really that's good, news. good um the FDA determined that the romaine tied to the outbreak comes from the quote end of season lettuce harvested in California um so California is to blame and it's actually uh, kind of makes sense because most of the outbreak was or most of the cases were in California um And at the time of the outbreak, the vast majority of the romaine on the market was being grown in the central coast region of California. Since then, harvesting of romaine lettuce from this region has ended for the year. So there's really no longer a threat um, Mm -hmm. if if that's where it originated, which is what they suspect. Uh, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb says the FDA believes it was critically important to have a clean break in the romaine supply available to consumers in the U.S. in order to purge the market of potentially (laughs) contaminated Romaine lettuce related to the current outbreak, and that appears to have been accomplished through the market withdrawal request of November 20th, 2018. So they think it was successful. Um, The shift in growing seasons mean that areas like Yuma, Arizona, which (laughs) you might remember from uh, Hmm. previous lettuce outbreaks, (laughs) um, and parts of Florida will be the sources for U.S. produced romaine in the coming month. So I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope so. But uh, this is a good move, I think. To help shoppers identify potentially contaminated lettuce, producers are going to start labeling the source of their greens along with the harvest date. So, like, how they print that on each package, like the date. Oh. Um, They're also going to start uh, saying where it came from. Okay. And if the lettuce doesn't have that information printed on the packaging, the CDC says, uh, do not eat it. If it doesn't have the location printed. If it doesn't have the location from this, I guess, from this point on. Hmm. Like it's now Interesting. To, it's, I don't know if it's required necessarily, but... It, well, uh, that'll just make it easier in the future if they do identify exactly. an out- outbreak from a region. They know to only say, like, if it's from here, then don't eat it. Versus, yep. like, don't eat any romaine. Right. <laughs> any at all. Yeah. Which, like, I get why they did that, but still seemed quite extreme. Yeah, it was, it was pretty extreme. Yeah. Okay, my first story is species news. This is from National Geographic, and the headline is, These ants decorate their homes with the heads of their enemies. Oh, my. (laughs) First, I thought it was going to be like a pleasant interior decorating ant story, but no. No, No, it's not. For 60 years, scientists have known that one species of small, rust-colored ant, known as Formica archiboldi, don't know how to pronounce this. Sounded pretty good. um, 
likes to decorate its nests with skulls or the head cases of several kinds of trap jaw ants. This is bizarre because trap jaw ants come equipped with potent stingers and gigantic mandibles that can snap closed like a bear trap. So like they're, they seem like they would be hard to like hunt down. Mm-hmm. These ants native to Florida and surrounding states nevertheless succeed in taking them down and nabbing their heads. But how? <laughs> Quote, something weird was going on, but no one had looked into it yet. Until now, says Adrian Smith, a research <laughs> biologist at North Carolina State University. In a new study published in the journal Insectisocio... This is French, and I don't know how to pronounce this either. Socio, Insectisocio, the journal... Smith has shown that this species of ant subdues its quarry with quick, highly efficient sprays of toxic acid. Oh my, oh. It's really intense. Well, that explains it. This is curious, says Smith, because while most of the ants in this family possess acid-spraying nozzles, they usually only deploy them as a means of last defense. This species, on the other hand, goes on the attack. No one is sure why the headhunters should be such effective predators of trapjaw ants, but it may have something to do with a waxy layer of scents ants produce called cuticular hydrocarbons. When Smith sampled these scents from this species, he found that they match the species of the trapjaw ants that, and they, co- they co-occur with almost perfectly. So like the scent was like matched up with the other one. Oh, so they saw them maybe as like invaders or... Or like they they would can blend in with the other species. Like they don't realize it's like a, they don't realize that it's, oh, a, so it's like a spe- sneak attack. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, although they don't actually have the evidence that that's what happens, but that's what they think. Yeah. So it says common sense would tell us that mimicking the scent profile of the prey gives the headhunter ants some advantage over them in battle. But Smith hasn't seen any evidence of this. So they aren't exactly sure why the scent profiles match. Like it's like they haven't actually done testing to prove that, but that's what the theory is. Um, and it said that matching hydrocarbon profiles are unlikely to be a coincidence because the headhunter ants are only found in areas where there are also trap jaws. And what's more, the headhunters have only been found to mimic native trap jaw species, not ones that have been recently introduced. So they don't just like dynamically do this. Like it's yeah. part of their like evolution, <laughs> apparently. Weird. Um, all of which points towards a complex co-evolutionary relationship between the headhunters and the trap jaws, says Smith. Even if we don't fully understand what that relationship is yet, <laughs> I was gonna say it doesn't sound like there's anything in it for the for the trap jaws. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they're just the prey in the situation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, Corey Moreau, an entomologist at the Field Museum of Natural History and a National Geographic explorer, agreed that the new study was interesting. "Quote: Despite the careful analytical work done on this odd animal, the question still remains: Why do these ants surround their nests in the skeletons of their prey?" <laughs> says Moreau. "I wonder if they use the dead bodies of their prey to mask themselves in the scent of the local prey species. This just shows that the more you know about nature, the more questions you uncover," she says. <laughs> so they still don't know why. That is so dark. It's a little dark, but it's interesting, too. Like, ants are, like, very... They, there's well, so many different types of ants with all different weird behaviors. And it's that's like, the thing. It's I like, you know. hear ant, you just think of, like, the little black, like, ones that, like, invade picnics and stuff. But yeah. there's so many different types of ants. Yeah. And they're all apparently attacking each other. <laughs> well, some of them, yeah, really, like... I mean, well, there's, like, fire ants and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, really aggressive species. I think this one's just an aggressive species, but they're particularly aggressive towards this other type for but some that's what they don't unknown know reason. why yeah huh they must be jealous of those mandibles maybe 
some nice. They mandibles. put them on display even. Maybe that's it. <laughs> they just—it's just like a trophy for them. It's yeah. like trophy hunting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that must be it. My next story is crime news, and this comes from CNN. <laughs> this is uh, this is a short story, but the headline okay. the headline just grabbed me. Man suspected of money laundering after four hundred thousand dollars found in washing machine. <laughs> I swear this isn't a joke. <laughs> no. Yes. So <laughs> the actual story itself is, is, is not as good, I think, as the headline, but I'm going to still share it. Uh, last week, Dutch police found around $400,000 stuffed inside the drum of a washing machine while checking for unregistered residents in a house in western Amsterdam. A man present in the house during the raid was arrested on suspicion of money laundering. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> it is just a beautiful pun <laughs> that nobody, uh, like you'd, you almost wonder if the, if the criminals were like, if they find this, at least it'll be real funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't know. The, the municipal administration revealed that no one lived at the address, the police said in a statement, so... Um, when the police did a search through the house, they found 350,000 euros, which is about 400,000, uh, us dollars mm-hmm. hidden in the washing machine. Uh, the police also confiscated several mobile phones, a firearm and a money counting machine during mm-hmm. the raid. Uh, the suspect who is 24 years old has not been named. Um, the police also said in a statement that the raid was part of an investigation into housing fraud, money laundering and other signs of crime. So basically they thought somebody was like squatting there and... That's mm-hmm. how they found the house. But okay. then they found the washing machine full of money. And hence, money, money laundering. laundering. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's too pure. It's just, it's perfect. It's, it's the perfect it's situation. Like a, yeah, it's just this like perfect little nugget of just punnery and crime. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Not that money laundering is good, but right, just don't, the situation. Yeah, just don't, the situation. don't launder money. No. Don't launder money in either sense. Yeah, no, it's. I don't think you should wash it. I mean, most it money will survive, will survive, but it's. But it gets very like. It gets weird. It gets like kind of fuzzy. It's. Yeah, weird. like the material starts to break down. Yeah, and it tends to like clump up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it gets all rolled up and clumpy. So money is filthy. So. My next story is technology news. This is from Gizmodo.com. And the headline is, be warned, customer service agents can see what you're typing in real time. The next time you're chatting with a customer service agent online, like in one of those things where you type into a question box or whatever, be warned that the person on the other side of your conversation might see what you're typing in real time. A reader sent Gizmodo a transcript from a conversation he had with a mattress company after the agent responded to a message he hadn't sent yet. Yeah, the person asked, can you see the messages I'm typing before I send them? And the agent responded, we get a preview. Gives us a little bit of extra time to look up the information. That's so creepy. Isn't that creepy? What if you start typing something, like, rude? They can (laughs) see it, because there's services that, like... So, apparently, if you Google this, you can find live chat services that advertise things like real-time typing view and message sneak peek. That's, like, a service that's advertised to companies. 
another similar creepy thing this article talked about is how companies record your phone call when you are on hold, apparently. So Wait, what? <laughs> like, you know how, like, if you call, like, a support line and sometimes it says that message, like, this call may be recorded for quality purposes or whatever? Uh-huh. Well, some companies will be recording, like, the into- like just from the time that you connect, like, before you even are talking to someone, it's, like, recording. That is so strange. I'm now, that. like, thinking back to all the times I've been on hold and all just, like, the weird, like, background noises they must have heard as I was, like... I don't know, just like on my computer or something. While yeah, there. well, that, that's what they're saying is that some, and you don't know if they are or not. So they basically said like they recommended putting yourself on mute when Probably, you're on hold. Yeah, I'm um, start doing because that because some companies will just record the whole thing before you even are connected to anyone. So that's so strange. It's like really weird. Um, yeah. And then for the chat thing, they just they recommended writing things somewhere else and copy pasting it in instead of writing straight into the chat if if this concept bothers you because yeah. yeah. I get, like, from the, from the one very specific, like, use case, like, you do get to see ahead and start looking something up if you yeah. can preview the message. But otherwise, I, I don't know. That just feels really creepy to me, especially because they don't, like, disclose that that's happening. Yeah, I think that that is more of the issue is, like, you don't know that they can see it. Yeah. Like, I think if it said that very clearly it just would be less creepy. Like, it'd be like, okay, well, they, right. they just want to see things instantly so they have more time to come up with this stuff. <laughs> like, it's like these things with, like, a send button. You start typing something in and someone, like, like, someone responded to a guy's question, like, before he even clicked the send and then it was just like, um, yeah, can you see this? Like, I didn't send you this. That's really strange. Yeah, it's the creepy. So, yeah, it's just, just awareness. Just be aware. Not that mm-hmm. I would hope our listeners wouldn't be typing, like, rude things into that chat box, but... Yeah, I know. You never know. I just, yeah. I mean, more than anything, I just don't want them to see me mess up typing something over and over again. <laughs> like, you know how when people yeah, well, are watching you type, like, it's always <laughs> it's always when you make the most mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spelling errors are, it's like, you just keep changing the wording of, like, one sentence and, like, keep right. changing it over and over again. And, like, someone watching you do that process is a little bit. Like, yeah. I do that in emails before oh, yeah. I send them. Oh, yeah. And I would do time. that here, too. So, like, no, I don't. it's weird if you see someone watching you and you don't realize. Yeah. Don't like it. Don't like it. So my last story is world news. This comes from BuzzFeed News. Um, The Leaning Tower of Pisa is getting straighter. Really? (laughs) Did you see this? No. (laughs) This is, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, So the Leaning Tower of Pisa, one of uh, Italy's most iconic landmarks, isn't leaning as as much as it used to. A group created to monitor the monument's restoration said this week that the medieval bell tower has straightened by 1.5 inches or 4 centimeters over the last two decades. Oh. So within the past 20 years, it's kind of... That's really good because I thought, for some reason, I thought it was itself. Turn, It was like leaning more. Like I thought it was eventually going to just like fall over and collapse well, or something. Well, it had been um, at a certain point. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it was actually closed between 1990 and 2001 for emergency res- restorative work where they corrected its tilt by 15.7 inches or 40 centimeters. So so it was closer to its original angle. Okay. So there's definitely, there was a time when it was leaning more, but now apparently it's, it's reversed course and it's, it's leaning less now. Well, that's good. 
um, a professor of geotechnics at the University of Pisa, who has a very Italian name that I'm just not going to even try to say, uh, who is a member of that surveillance group, said, um, what counts the most is, is the stability of the bell tower, which is actually better than expected. So it's not in any danger of falling over right now. Well, that's good. Um, and just a fun historical fact, the Leaning Tower has been leaning ever since one side shifted under the softer clay and sand it is built on when construction began in 1173. Which... <laughs> Man, that Long is... Long time ago. Yeah. It's just hard to... It's hard to picture <laughs> that, yeah. that length of time. But, yeah, it's it's getting a little bit... A uh, little less crooked, which I th- I just found amusing. Um, have you yeah. have you ever been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa? I have not, actually. Yeah, it's... it's you have? It, I ha- I've been there once. It was kind of disappointing, honestly, because the, mm-hmm. the pictures you see, it's like in this... It looks like a really beautiful place with, like, green grass and everything but like that's literally it like that plaza is the only green part of that it's immediately surrounded by like city and it's not like nice city it's just a bunch of like carts trying to sell you like leaning tower piece of merchandise (laughs) and just like it it feels like kind of an unsafe part of town outside of that little bubble yeah so that was a little disappointing but it was it was cool to see in person but i don't think i'd go back that's what i've heard too, that it's kind of just like a tourist trap. Yeah. And there's not, like, you get there and you're like, okay, I saw it. And then you just start bombarded by people right. selling you stuff. And it's, it's everything around it is just experience. sketchy. It's not like there's like nice restaurants or anything to yeah. go to after it. You just kind of go get your pictures and get out. Hmm. We were kind of worried for our car. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well, I will not drive there then. Yeah. <laughs> it was a rental. So there. we just don't want anything <laughs> to happen to the rental. Yeah. Okay, my third story is health news. This is from NBC. Guess what, Anthony? What? There's another recall. Oh no! But this but one we is just got for our beef. Oh. <laughs> We're talking about beef this time, not the leafy greens. Um, it's E. coli, and a hundred thousand pounds of ground beef have been recalled. Um, in the, it's in the western part of the U.S. though. The oh, nation's good. largest beef processor, JBS USA, is recalling nearly 100,000 pounds of ground beef for possible E. coli contamination, according to the Department of Agriculture. The ground beef uh, produced at the USA-owned Swift Beef Company in Hiram, Utah, um, may be contaminated with E. coli. So they're just they um, did it touch the they're lettuce? recalling it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, The beef was distributed to Utah, Nevada, (laughs) California, Oregon, and Washington. Um, So if you live in one of those states, don't eat ground beef, or at least make sure you know where it's from. Right. If you live in Ohio, you're fine. (laughs) For Um, once. (laughs) Yeah. So that was was it. So. Okay. It was pretty short, but. So I figured I, I guess, yeah, especially if you're in those areas, <laughs> I guess don't get like a burger with lettuce on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't eat a burger with romaine. Yeah. I don't think good. E. coli's effects are like multiplicative. Multipli- was that right? I, don't, I think it was. Multiplicative? That doesn't sound I multiplic- think that's a word. I don't know if I've ever said it out loud before. Multiplicative? Multiplicative? That sounds better. Isn't that what you said? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that the like effects of E. coli stack on each other, but the chances probably do. So, <laughs> I don't know if you eat two foods contaminated with E. coli, does it cancel out? 
does beef E. coli counteract um, uh, lettuce E. coli? Or I can only think? imagine. <laughs> Probably not. Don't do this. Maybe there are two strains of E. coli and they uh, attack each other. We should experiment. It's in like a petri the dish. it's like the ants. <laughs> They've evolved to be similar, but they actually attack each other. <laughs> Let's experiment about that sometime. <laughs> That's not, not in a person, not in a person, <laughs> like in a controlled lab environment or something. Here, you eat this. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like that. Let's just give it to an unsuspecting person. No. <laughs> Anthony, it's time for breaking news. What? Breaking news is the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Unbelievable. Ready, set, set Go. go. All right. The story that I have is from USA Today. Uh, more than 1,000 breweries answer Sierra Nevada's call for campfire relief beer. Do you hear about this? Oh, yeah. I did hear about that, actually. This is really, this is really like a really heartwarming story. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure everyone is familiar with the, the campfire that was um, the largest, deadliest fire in California history. Um, mm-hmm. That is like just recently, I think they've gotten it under control. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company is making a beer, um, that they're donating a hundred percent of their, of like their revenue from, um, to raise money for this, like this area of California that was affected and help them with their rebuilding efforts. But the really cool part is that they got in contact with a bunch of other breweries who are, um, working with like providers and stuff to get donated materials. And they're also all going to make this beer. It's now up to a thousand plus breweries oh, wow. that are all going to be like working, like making the same beer and distributing it, distributing it and like also giving their revenue for this beer. That's really cool. To relief efforts. So um, the uh, uh, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company started the Sierra Nevada Campfire Relief Fund, which they seeded with a hundred thousand dollar donation. So it's already got that much in it. Um, and they're planning on donating their sales. They create, they created 70, I think it was 76,000 or 74,000 gallons of this, uh, beer that they're starting, planning Mm -hmm. to start distributing on January 5th of 2019. Okay. Um, and, uh, they estimate with the participation of the 1000 plus other breweries that there will be about 8.6 million pints of this beer that will be sold around the country. Um, some of the breweries that are joining them include uh, New Belgium and uh, Dogfish Head. So some of the some of the bigger names I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, really exciting. Like Goose Island is also participating. Um, Blue Moon. So they've got a list <laughs> like at their Moon. they've got a list at their website of all the breweries that are participating. But it's just it sounds it's a really cool That's, like example of a bunch of yeah. people who are normally like. It's kind of a competitive industry, though, like craft brewing. Yeah. And they're all coming together to raise money for a good cause. I think that's such a creative idea. It's, such a, it's like, such a neat idea because everybody likes beer. Well, not everybody, but yeah, like a lot of people yeah, like beer. Yeah, a lot of people like beer. And, and to- I think people would very easily buy that and as like a donation to help. Oh, absolutely. That, you I know, mean, because they're just buying a beer. It's you're like getting normal. a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's just like buying any other beer except that it's going to a good cause right. instead of just. Just the, co- the just company the company only. Like. Yeah, that's really nice. So I thought that was really creative. 
yeah, I think I think that's just such a cool idea, and the beer sounds good too. It's an it's an IPA. Um, they said that uh, if we're going to be raising money to rebuild our community, we felt like it should taste like home. We wanted to go with that classic Danky West Coast IPA. <laughs> they used the danky? word Danky. I don't which know I, what that means. I don't know why. <laughs> what's different between Danky and Dank, but sure. Um, and they said it's fresh, piney, citrusy, hop heavy, and nice and bright. So. I think it sounds good. I'm I'm hoping we will have some in the area around us. Yeah. I mean, we have so many I mean, breweries I'll here. Definitely, I can only imagine. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have something. I would try it for sure. Um, I don't usually get really hoppy beers, but yeah. I would buy one just for the cause. I go through so. phases where I'm like way into them and sometimes yeah. I just went up, but this is for a good cause and yeah, sounds like a good beer. That'd be fun. Well, I found this isn't really a news story, but just a thing going around the internet and have you seen this? There's like a giant cow in Australia. Yes, I have. Oh, you is, have? This is one of my favorite things that the internet has, has given us. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> it's so, it's so big. You've seen it's this cow. Like it's a four times the size of a it's normal It's literally cow. like four cows glued together with legs. Like it's. That's the, yeah. It's, that's like the size. Like when you look at it next to another cow, you can easily see how like four cows, the mass of four cows would fit easily. in this cow. It sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. Like it's just enormous. Like, I don't know how this is physically possible. Right. I wonder if it has some type of giantism. Like. Maybe. Cow giantism or something. I bet that's probably possible. I haven't looked too much into the history of large cows. <laughs> <laughs> the history well, or the science of large cows, but so it's, it's so big. It's just so big. <laughs> it's so big. And this is just going around the internet right now. So I, I pulled up something on Vox. Um, the cow's name is Nickers. Aww. Uh, he weighs 1.4 tons. Wow. He's a Holstein Frisian dairy steer. I don't know how you pronounce that. That's the type of breed of... Okay. Cow, I guess, but a dairy cow, a male dairy cow. Um, wait, how does that work? Wait a minute. The breed, that breed of cow oh. is bred <laughs> for dairy. Okay. And he's just a male. The male cow does not produce Right, because a dairy. steer is a male, Steals right? a mare. Yeah. Mare. mare. <laughs> I said it twice. <laughs> a steer is a mare. <laughs> that is, that's wrong on so many levels. <laughs> There's like... That's the wrong type of animal. That's the wrong, wrong gender. gender. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a steer is a male. Nickers currently lives on farmer Jeff Pearson's cattle ranch in Western Australia. Australian media put Nickers on blast after the animal was saved from the slaughterhouse because he was deemed too big to be sold at auction, which is kind of sad, actually, but I guess nice for him. Yeah, like, good for him. He just was being Nickers. raised probably to be sold as a for meat, I guess. And then yeah. they were like, you know what? No, we're not going to do this now. He's just going to live out his life at this pasture. Yeah. So, um, and the rest of the article is just tweets about this cow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. It's pretty amusing. I would recommend looking up pictures and or videos of this cow. It's amazing. It's, it's just it's, amazing. It's, just, it's, it's just beyond belief. Yeah. It's beyond belief. Like, you, <laughs> that was really good. Actually. I appreciate really good puns, and that was a really good pun, Anthony. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. But yes, if you haven't seen the photos, you probably can't really picture what I'm describing. You have to of look. how big this you cow is. You have to look. It's, it's so big. It's insane. So we will have the link. Look at the link. Mm-hmm. And you will see. 
Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you want to use. You can also follow us on Facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at at News. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. The worst part is, is when I corrected myself, I just said the same thing. <laughs> um, no, a steer is a mare. No. I <laughs> easy to say it just it's, rolls off the tongue well it's because the r sound uh. it. no a steer is a male <laughs> <laughs>